Hello, and welcome to How to Survive Your Twenties. I'm the host, Holly Etheridge, and creator of this podcast. Being in your twenties can bring about a lot of uncertainty, a period of our lives where we experience a lot of change and self-development, a huge transition from being a teenager to, well, an adult. This is a podcast about the struggles of being in your twenties, the ups and downs, and everything in between. A podcast designed to celebrate change and our successes and understand that not everyone has it sussed out and that it is totally okay to struggle and not know where you're heading in life. Have you heard of comedy hypnotism? Well, I hadn't either until I met Robert Temple. Rob is a stage comedy hypnotist but has also began creating and selling his very own courses in mindset and personal development. Rob lacked a lot of confidence growing up and he never felt like he fitted in. But at the age of just four years old, he saw a magician that completely moved him, which was what led him into the world of hypnotism. From using similar techniques to what he does on stage, Rob has trained his very own mind to be the best version of himself, both confident and happy. And today he is here to share his top tips on how to build your confidence and make personal development a habit. And funnily enough, it doesn't involve hypnotism. So Rob, Robert, what shall I call you? <laughs> anything. I answer anything. anything. Rob's fine. Rob. Rob Temple. Thank you so much for coming on How to Survive Your Twenties. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited for today. There are a thousand questions that I want to ask you. So I've had to really try and like plan out so that I don't run over because I just find what you do extremely interesting. So um, well, firstly, how have you been? Because obviously we're in another lockdown. Yeah. All right, actually. I'm a real introvert, uh, which I came to the shocking conclusion that I'm an introvert about six months ago. Um, and uh, and yeah, and so lockdown sort of my natural state. Like I love to go out and have a light, nice time and everything. But actually, mm-hmm. I don't feel too affected by the fact that we're locked down. I feel okay about it. Well, we That's have no good. choice. We can choose yeah. to be okay about it. So. Yeah, exactly. But in terms of work and stuff, do you find do you find that okay? Because sometimes it's nice being out and about and working with people, isn't it? As opposed to yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm fine. I like I like being sat at the computer. I'm one of those sad people who, uh, in my spare time, would probably be sat at the computer anyway. So yeah, it's Fair good. Enough. That's good. Surviving lockdown, great. Wow, your career. So you're a hypnotist, and you yeah. sell courses on mindset and personal development. So let's start first with. The hypnotism because that blows my blows my mind i want to know everything um how did that come about um so at school when i was a kid like a little tiny kid i was the most shy awkward nerdy terrified of everything kid you can imagine so like when i was four or five growing up i was just terrified didn't make friends very easily wasn't unpopular didn't get bullied or anything but like mm-hmm. i wasn't sporty i didn't fit in that well like it was just a bit odd and that was made more difficult by the fact that I was born in London. So I had like a London accent and then moved to the Northeast of England where obviously there's Geordies and Mackhams and stuff. And so I was this kid who suddenly appeared in primary school with a London accent for years. And it took years for that to slowly wear off. And I'm still not the most Geordie guy you'll ever hear. So um, that was, that was like where I came from. And then basically I saw a magician when I was about four. So it was when I was still living in London, saw a magician at like a play group or a nursery party. And it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life, in my four years of being alive. That was like <laughs> my four the years. coolest thing you can imagine. So like guy had a box, that box is empty. Next thing, boom, there's a rabbit Aww. in the box. I was like, that's cool. <laughs> so, um, 
that was it. And I just, all I talked about. So my parents eventually bought me a magic set. And so uh, I got this Paul Daniels magic set. I think every kid had a magic set at some point. And most kids like play with it for an hour and then lose all the bits and then like lose yeah. interest. And then they get a I chemistry set and then they're off on that. And then they get something else <laughs> and off on that. And for me, I just got this magic set and I, I played with it for an hour, lost all the bits and then went, right, I need another one. So we got another one that was different, a bigger one and um, just became obsessed with it. So like every relative that came to the house had magic forced <laughs> on them. My dad would get in at like nine o'clock at night after a long day's work and be trying to eat his fish and chips. And I'm there, look at this, pick a card. Aww, so for like four or five, you. I was that irritating little kid that did magic. And so growing up, I went through a bit of a struggle with that, but growing up eventually uh, I was like, this is the thing I'm going to do for a living. I'm going to be an entertainer for a living. And then it reached and I, it reached the point when I was 14 and I saw a hypnotist and that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I had the same moment of realization that I had when I was four, 10 years later was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And so I decided, well, it's either the coolest thing I've ever seen or it's the biggest scam on the planet. Like I couldn't decide whether these people who were doing these crazy things were actually hypnotized or if it was all just made up. So I dug into it, like I looked into it. I was very cynical as a magician. I was looking for the trick, like what's the method behind it? And then eventually I realized, I don't think there can be one because you go and see a hypnotist and the people from the audience are with like their family and friends and they get up on stage and they're hypnotized and their family and friends can't all be in on it. So I was like, this must be a thing. (laughs) So I decided to learn it. So when I was 14, I bought some courses about it on the internet. um, And then my dad paid the hypnotist that we saw to help me like pr- improve it and do a better job of it. So I studied it for like two years because nobody was going to take a 14 year old hypnotist very seriously. Uh, 16, different story. Yeah. Um, 16, I went out and had a go and, uh, and it went really well. And then that was it. So I did magic and hypnosis side by side for a couple of years through my A-levels and then decided to drop magic and just keep it as a hobby. So like I still go to conventions for magicians. A lot of my friends are magicians. Like I still move in that world, but just don't do any of it for a living and uh, decided to pursue life as a comedy hypnotist and uh, loved it. Yeah, it's really good. A a comedy hypnotist. Now that's something I haven't really heard of. I'd love to experience that. I've had a look at some of your stuff and it looks incredible. I really want to hopefully when we're out of this lockdown attend. So from a very young age, then you knew what you wanted to do. That as well blows my mind because I'm somebody that's just battled with kind of finding the correct path and things like that. And I think a lot of people in their 20s do struggle with the career side of things. But if at the age of four, the penny kind of dropped with the magic and then that led you onto hypnotism, that's pretty, pretty impressive. You know what though, there's a thing. There's a thing I battled with through my 20s, which was I looked at other people around me who I went to school with. And most of the people I went to school with went off and either there's a few of them like started their own businesses and stuff. And then most of them went off down a traditional career path. So they went to, they did their A-levels, then they went to uni, then they left uni and they've gone on to do something amazing, like something I couldn't even dream of doing, like lawyers and dentists and all this other stuff. And so I look at people who I went to school with, who I'm still connected with on social media and stuff. And for them, it looked like through their late teens and into their twenties, it looks like their life was like sorted really fast. So a lot of them are married with kids and have a house and all of that stuff. And I looked at my, and I battled with this in my twenties sincerely where I, I, I went on this like zigzag path. So it sounds like at four, he knew what he wanted to do. And now at, when I'm 33 now, still doing it and it's also, or a variation of it and it looks good. But actually that path, took me through being a kid's entertainer doing like magic for birthday parties in stupid clothes. So that through, um, up comedy through presenting on the radio 
through having a mobile disco company with my friend uh, and doing mobile DJing through um, a whole bunch of other stuff in mm. the world. So whilst it was, and for a long time, I thought I looked at other people who appeared to just like go straight on the straight path from A to Z, like just get there. And my road looked like this to get to where I am now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's an interesting one because that felt like a bit of a failure at the time. I've reframed that now, but at the time it felt like a bit of a failure. It was like, why am I on this zigzag path trying to like fumble around and figure it out? And now an extension of my stage work is to help people use the same techniques to better their mind and become more confident and happier and all that stuff. Uh, and again, even that feels like an extra zag on my zigzag. Mm. But so it's an interesting battle I had at the time until eventually I came to terms with the fact that actually that is totally okay to try different yeah. things. And completely. And there is no end result. Like there's no way you're trying to get to. All you're trying to yeah. do is not, not die today and yeah. make today better than yesterday. And if you've done exactly. that, then that's fine. And actually lots of people from the, like from outside. So for me, for example, I would like look at your social media and just think, oh, wow, like he's, that's his journey. But no one really sees behind the scenes. So no one sees your like zigzag and your, you know, your highs and your lows. But another point I wanted to add as well was um, I bet that those lawyers and dentists and people that you talk of that you went to school with look at you and think, oh, my God, how cool his career's, you know, so interesting. And I'm just a dentist. Do you know what I mean? Like, so everyone always views it differently don't they and kind of feels a failure in their own respect if that makes sense totally it's easy it's easy to do we all compare ourselves to everybody else's best picture for sure yeah exactly so before i go off on another tangent talk to us about um so you're a comedy hypnotist how does that work So it basically means I get people on stage, hypnotize them. They do hilarious things for an hour in the course of a show and then send them back to the audience and have a lot of fun. And, um, and it's interesting. I I did stand up comedy for a couple of years, as I mentioned, just pure stand up with with nothing else. Hypnosis Mm -hmm. is a bit of a prop because whilst I get a lot of the credit for being funny, uh, it's actually the hilarious things that the volunteers on stage do that that really the laughs. Um, but I did stand up for a couple of years in order to like get into the headspace of if it's just me and a microphone on stage and an audience, how do I make that funny? Uh, and, and like comedy improv and that kind of thing. And all of that was a lot of fun. So I decided to blend all of that together to make the show that I do now. And also, I mean, the comedy hypnosis thing was, it's been around since a hundred years ago, but it's, it's been sort of stuck in like the eighties and nineties. It was a real like end of the pier tacky form of the entertainment industry so mm-hmm. one of my goals in life was to bring it back up to date with a new yes. show and all of that i love one that of doing it. so yeah it's been it's been lots of fun and um, i have to ask you because obviously i don't know anything about this and i'm sure many other people will think down the same route is there any like is there any danger in being hypnotized like that form of hypnotism no so it's actually a really natural state of mind we go into Uh it and out of it every day so like if you wake up on a morning and you feel a bit groggy like you're not quite awake or you doze off to sleep on a night time and you go through that bit where you're not quite awake but you're not quite asleep yet either that's basically the same state as hypnosis or if you're driving down the road and you think oh crap i've missed my junction it was back there or mcdonald's was 10 miles ago the state you're in there we call it autopilot but actually you're in you're in the same state of mind as hypnosis is you're like a it's trance, just isn't it? When you're on stage, yeah, and you just come out of it. It's perfectly natural. If I hypnotize somebody and just left them after an hour on the, on their own or so, they would just drift into normal sleep and then they just wake up. Oh my god, that's so interesting. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened on one of your shows? 
So I've always tried to push the boat out a little bit and, and be a little bit naughty and like see how far you can get away with things. So like in one of my old shows, there was a thing where um, basically all of the men on stage would all strip down to their boxer shorts thinking they were the Chippendales and all the women would have orgasms. And um, <laughs> there was a period of time, I was, there was a period of time for four years, I was doing summer seasons in Greece. So I was in the island of Kos and I'd fly okay. over there in like April time and do a full season, come back in October. And um I remember one particular show I was doing that we were closing that the show off and that was the final routine. And then, um, there was a, a girl came up to me after the show. She must've been about 18, 19 and, uh, her mother had been on stage. So she just watched her mother enjoying herself a little bit too much over the course of the show uh, yeah. at the end. And that was, uh, that was a bit mortifying for her, I think, but funny. Um, Comedy but yeah, I mean, it's crazy that anything can happen. That's so interesting. So I've had, this is obviously completely different, but I've had a bit of um, hypnotism and it changed the way I think about hypnotism completely because I didn't feel at all hypnotized. And it was actually for, it was like a deep meditation and it was for like anxiety and confidence and things like that. Cause I've always suffered with a little bit of anxiety on and off. And obviously going into the acting world that sometimes heightened. So I seeked out a professional lady and I only had two sessions with her. Um, and I do think it helped me. But all I can explain it, like to me, it was just like being in a, a bit of a meditation. But then I'd kind of come around and be like, oh, I don't know if I, if, it, if that worked, if that had any impact. So I don't know if that's similar to what you do or if that's, I don't know, something completely different. It's a, but- similar, it's a similar state. There's kind of two core differences. I mean, both of those, but when you go and see like a hypnotherapist or you come and see mm-hmm. a stage hypnotist, this, the process is the same. It's still a bit of a mm-hmm. performance. Like one of them, you yeah. come into a theater and one of them, you come into a therapy room. You go through the same process of being hypnotized and relaxed on stage. It has to happen faster because obviously uh, it's, the, it's not very interesting to watch for longer than a few minutes. So it has to happen much faster and you have to be able to get somebody much deeper and more deeply relaxed in order to make them be able to dance around on stage and think they're Amy Winehouse or somebody and then yeah. uh, in a therapy room there is a there is a much closer uh, there's a much finer line between this idea of just being in a meditative relaxed state I mean the minute you go into a meditative relaxed state your mind is more open to suggestion anyway so it will definitely have helped um, yeah. some people will experience it totally differently to others uh, but it, it is effectively very similar I um, yeah. I have like a, a meditation hypnosis thing that i give away for people to listen to just when they want to relax uh, unwind and relax and things and i talk about it and say it's a combination of meditation hypnosis and a bunch of other stuff yeah that inspires me to keep meditating that's on my list like to incorporate meditation into my daily life because i know that you know it's beneficial and it's good for us um, and totally. so in terms of your hypnosis do you mix that with your personal development and mindset stuff so would you kind of go down the route of helping people that way as well as like your comedy hypnosis so so this sort of came about in an odd way because as a kid i was horrendously shy and quiet and lacked in confidence i like so badly lacked in confidence it's really yeah um and it wasn't it wasn't until my early 20s that i managed to start to conquer that and when i look back at it in my mid to late 20s I was sort of aware of the fact that I've always thought differently to a lot of people. Like I've always been um, just willing to just have a go at what I want to do rather than follow a traditional path, which I think is important. But I look back and I thought, you know what, what I've had to do effectively is from, from the age of being a kid all the way through my teens and mostly through my twenties, I've had to 
train my brain to be more confident and to believe that I'm okay and I can go and talk to people and I can start a conversation. I could talk to a girl, like it's all going to be good. And that was, that was a lot of work. And what I realized was completely by accident, this was absolutely not by design. This was entirely looking back at it in retrospect. I realized that actually the techniques that I've used to program confidence and happiness and all the stuff that I, I naturally am now is entirely the same as what happens on stage so like if you get on stage and get hypnotized in my show you'll sit down i'll tell you to close your eyes and sleep because uh, it's not really like sleep but we use the word sleep a lot i'll say sleep when you wake up you'll believe when you hear this piece of music play some music you'll believe that you are i don't know amy winehouse and you'll jump up and you'll dance around your performers if you were and you take even if you i mean you're a performer but if you take somebody who wasn't a performer the most shy mild-mannered person you can possibly imagine who would never think of performing will get up and, and become Amy Winehouse. And I mean it like they'll, they'll completely assume that character for the next three minutes wow. or however long the track is. And what I realized is that effectively, if you can take a thought, which is all I'm doing, and put it into somebody's subconscious mind, that when they hear that music and only now and only for the next three minutes or whatever, they're going to become Amy Winehouse. And that happens. And they might not be good because they might not have any rhythm or be able to dance right. or sing at all, but they'll give <laughs> it their best make shot. You her. <laughs> yeah. They believe that they are Amy Winehouse. Like there's no doubt in their mind that at that moment they are Amy Winehouse. Mm-hmm. But alive. Um, they'll get up and dance and sing and perform like you wouldn't believe. And I realized that effectively what I'd done in my life was to just reprogram the way that I thought about myself and about other people and about other people's opinions of me and about the world and about my place within the world and about my ability to do stuff that allowed me to just have this confidence to just get up and give it a go. So I realized what I'd done was the same thing. And after a hundred percent of my shows, people come up to me and say, can you help me stop smoking? Can you help me lose weight? Can yeah, you help me do this? Say. Can you help me do that? Because people just don't, they don't really draw the distinction between the, the hilarious stuff that you see done on stage and the stuff they've heard about in a hypnotherapy practice. Now, honestly, sitting one-on-one with somebody in a room, um, helping them like that, as nice as it would be, would bore the tears out of me because I right, got into yeah. hypnosis through entertainment rather than through learning counseling yeah. or psychology or the route that hypnotherapists usually take. Lots of hairdressers become hypnotherapists because they sit in their salon <laughs> listening to people's problems all days and then they, <laughs> they decide there's a, another way to do it. So I decided I didn't want to do that, but I am really interested in it. So I decided I didn't want to work with the really like commonplace stuff that you think of hypnotherapy as helping like smoking and weight loss and all that. That's, that's all good, but it's somebody else's department. I wanted to help with the stuff that was um, more internal. So confidence, anxiety, self-talk, happiness, all all the the softer stuff. I really, I was really interested in that because that had had a massive impact on my, on my life. I've never been fat. I've never been a smoker, not particularly frightened of very much. Like I didn't want to deal with those things. I wanted to deal with the stuff that was really hard and and, and had had a negative effect on my life through my teens and twenties. And so that's where that came from. So in the end, I just start, I spent a lot of time just journaling to myself and just thinking, how, what, what are some fun, interesting ways to explain the mindset stuff that I've worked out? I've like literally just, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an academic. I'm not a professor. I didn't go to university. I've never spent years in a research, research lab, but I have hypnotized 20,000 people. So I was like, if you take that, that and take all the lessons I've learned from having done it and realized how they've accidentally, completely accidentally been applied in my own life, 
um, that would be really interesting to me and it might be interesting to other people. So that was what yeah. led to me creating courses and selling them and that kind of thing to help people with those kind of routes. But that's a fairly new thing, like within the last couple of years. So yeah. they, they're totally separate, like brands and companies online. Um, they sort of work hand in hand because people at the end of my show do say, how, you know, can you help me how with this stuff? How can you help me? Yeah. And I can point them over to have a look at that. But yeah, okay. so I've, I've, I've never, other than like a couple of years um, when I was about 19, I dabbled with the idea of doing hypnotherapy and I did a little bit, but just bored the tears out of me. So I stopped it. Oh no, I was going to say, you sound like the perfect person that I could be like, hey Rob, hypnotize me so that I do this well. <laughs> so if I said, for example, this might be like completely wrong, but if I was like, Rob, could you help me? I want to feel as confident as possible for this audition or whatever would you be able to not that you'd want to because it's obviously not of interest but would you be able to like somehow hypnotize me to think that like I'm really confident I'm going to get this do you know what I mean and then I can go off and do it or is that like so it can be done it it can be done it does work (laughs) and it is a good idea (laughs) but I do but I do have a philosophy that if you've got like a massive foundational crack in your wall and you just like paint it and hope it covers the cracks eventually that's going to start to show through so my philosophy of personal development is that without using proper hypnosis without using Mm -hmm. real hypnosis going into trance as it were you can apply the techniques because you're being influenced by stuff all the time like when you're driving down the motorway and you see a massive billboard um of a really clever advert where millions of pounds or dollars has been pumped into this advert to make it stand out and grab your attention. That is influencing you on so many levels. When you walk around a shopping center, almost every brick has been positioned to make sure that you lose all sense of time, uh, to make sure that you are constantly moving around, to make sure that if you go to one shop and you want to go, nobody ever goes into a shopping center and goes to that shop and then the next shop and then the next shop and the next shop. You go from here to the other side of the shopping center and then you go, oh, I wanted that other shop. I'll go back over to the other side. It's all by design to make sure that you spend as much time and money in there as possible. So we're constantly being influenced all the time negatively or positively and so i think everybody should make personal development as much of a habit as brushing their teeth washing down their ears like anything so that way confidence just becomes who you are it becomes a a characteristic of you Mm -hmm. rather than being a thing that you can like just hypnotize me and make me confident and then that will serve you way better because it's almost like a quick fix isn't it like just quickly hypnotize me for this and then like you said you're just painting over paying over the crack (laughs) that's exactly it whereas if you can make it part of who you are that's much more sustainable so in terms of what you do to help yourself what um do you like meditate do you said you journal i love journaling as well i'm a massive fan of um getting into the habit every morning of writing down what i'm grateful for my positive affirmations what i'm i feel like everybody every day and i was saying this to my friend recently especially in lockdown because it's so difficult if you're freelance and you haven't got a job on or something, just give yourself a small purpose every day. And I try and live by that, writing down just two things that I want to achieve today. And it makes me feel like fulfilled in some, some sense. Cause obviously being freelance, you're not always booked and, and busy. So um, yeah, in terms of like journaling and things like that, I was trying to set, set out <clears throat> a few things that I can achieve today just to like tick off and make myself feel fulfilled. And I feel like that is, part of my self-care if you like and if I don't do it I feel really crappy (laughs) what are the kind of things that you do so I have like five core things that I think everybody should do to like structure their day-to-day I'm gonna take notes (laughs) 
So the first one is, uh, and we're going to come back to this at the end for the fifth one, mm-hmm. but the first one is to really focus on having some sort of morning routine that you do. So I found that I'm not a morning person. My natural, like if you just left me on my own and just said, put me in a house and said, off you go. Um, mm-hmm. My natural state that I just default to would be stay up really late and then like sleep in most of the next day. So like stay up till two, three o'clock in the morning, then go to bed and then sleep in most of the next day and then get up and potter about. Um, and I realized that when I changed that around and I gave myself a morning routine, that was structured and it was intentional that made such a difference so now i get up early i exercise of some description when the gyms were open not in a pandemic go to the gym now i'm just going to go for a run um so do that have breakfast because if i don't force myself to i'm not naturally into it so i have breakfast after that so i go through a period of stuff Um, and then the next one is to have positive input and then positive output so basically i do something so the first thing that most people do when they wake up is they check their phones and they like flick through social media and see who messages them on instagram how many likes did that photograph get etc um so i just turned off all the notifications on my phone i don't even have facebook on my phone anymore i deleted it so i just basically when i wake up in the morning nothing can interrupt me because what the worst thing that can happen is you can open your phone and suddenly you're just bombarded with a whole big list of everybody else's agenda um, and that's not good for anybody so that means that until about 11 a.m most days it's really hard to get in touch with me not all the time but most days it's really hard Uh, and that's that is by design so i I try and avoid other people's agenda as much as possible so that means you need some input from somewhere but that's not going to be the news or the newspaper or the radio or any of that stuff for me it's read a book it's um study something like look at a course it's like some sort of positive input and then have some sort of positive output in other words i'm going to go and do something so that might be i'm going to write down the three things i picked up from the chapter of the book i just read it might be i'm going to go and write something because i'm working on a project it might be i'm going to do this bit of work for a client i'm going to do this bit of um, work for this extracurricular activity whatever it's going to be so some sort of positive input and then some sort of positive output Uh, The next one is to take some time out in your day that's absolutely wholly reserved for you. So that could be to meditate. It could be, and it's a place of quiet. So it could be to meditate. It could be to go for a walk on your own. Like you can just leave your partner, husband, wife, kid, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever at home and just say, I'm just going to go out for a walk. (laughs) Just just be on your own for a bit because um, that way you're just alone with your own thoughts. And that's a dangerous thing to do unless they're intentional. So just to focus on thinking positively, listening through your thoughts, that kind of thing. Um, and I also focus on having an evening routine. Now, this is something that not many people talk about. Loads of people talk about a morning routine, but the evening routine sets you up for the morning routine. So yeah. if like my evening routine includes things like I do a thing called the 10 o'clock, 10 minute tidy, which is basically at 10 PM, just like spend 10 minutes, just putting everything back to where it's supposed to be that way. And like washing up if I haven't already, cause it just means when I get up the next day, everything's like being reset and it means yeah. you can't come in like nothing's more disarming than when you get up on a morning you go in the kitchen the place is a tip yeah like everywhere from the night before like you just don't start the day very well so for me it's get my clothes out fold them up put them to one side so in the morning i don't have to think about what i'm going to wear these clothes out of my wardrobe and on the on the side last night so um i make sure i put an uh an evening routine together that supports the morning routine and then that way I know I'm going to get the best possible start to the next day. And I think if you do all of that, there's like probably only 20 minutes or half an hour of that entire day is dedicated to positive thinking, journaling, meditation, like any of the stuff that you could do, like the practical, tangible stuff. But that's because we're all busy. And even if you've got no work on, you've still got loads on in your life and people to deal yeah. with and stuff to do. So I think yeah. you have to make it 
like brushing your teeth isn't a problem because it only takes you two minutes and it's, it's a habit and it's part of your routine. And I think if you can build stuff that is uh, positive, encouraging, psychologically good for you into your everyday life so that it becomes as easy as brushing your teeth, it's not going to take three minutes probably. It's going to take 20 minutes, half an hour of your day, but I think everybody can justify that especially if they yeah. just cut down on the time spent scrolling a bit through social media, oh, cut God, down a bit on that a little bit, then I think that that's really powerful. So that's how I do it. And then I'm just always, and I'm always focused on moving forward slightly. So like, mm-hmm. what's the one thing that I want to work on? So right now, the thing that I'm working on in my own life, as we're recording this is on um, resilience and tenacity to keep going. So um, a friend of mine who's a guy called Simon Hartley, he's an Olympic sports psychology coach. So like he helps Olympic athletes and massively high performing sports consultants, uh, sorry, sports and athletes to like do better. And he was talking about the fact that if you want to, if you want to make, if you want to get better at something, you've just got to challenge yourself to do something really hard and you have to give yourself a quick point. So you have to give yourself, you have to force yourself to do something really, really hard. You have to give yourself the option to quit so that you could easily quit at any time because it's only then that you really push yourself. So I've enrolled in this thing called 75 hard, this 75 day challenge of, of yeah, fitness seen. and healthy eating and stuff. Hardest thing I've ever done. I'm only on day 50. Hardest thing yeah. I've ever done so far. Um, mostly cause I'm addicted to chocolate and I really want someone I can't. Oh, so, um, yeah, like madness. So I'm going through this now. And the only reason I'm doing it is cause I know that I generally have a habit of putting stuff off, not procrastinating, but like saying, um, saying I'm going to do something and then just not following through. Not that in any way, not, not in a way that would harm anybody, but just like not quite getting deadlines done. Like I'll do stuff at the last minute rather than rather than like, you know, with, with good time. So I've decided I'm going to do this because it's the only way I'm going to rewire my brain to, to, mm-hmm. to think in a more resilient and stickable way. So that's why I'm doing yeah. it. So I think constantly just have one area of life that you want to focus on. So is it your confidence? Is it your happiness? Is it your resilience? Is it tenacity? Is it um, anxiety? Whatever it is. And just focus on that one thing for a period of time. And just yeah. that, that time you dedicate every day is just dedicated towards moving that one thing forward. And because all areas of our personality and character are linked, like if you improve your confidence, your happiness goes up. If you reduce your anxiety, your happiness and your confidence go up. So like just doing that will naturally have a knock on effect on everything else. Oh my god, I'm literally like lost for words. I feel like I'm in a trance now of everything you said. <laughs> I just feel like I want to absorb all of that and do it. And a lot of the things you did mention, I do. I'm quite proud to sit and say that I do try and incorporate. So I know. And do you do that religiously? Everything you mentioned, because I was going to say the morning routine. I've read so many books, and I'm yet to read the Five AM Club, but it's on my list. But I've read so many things about having that strong morning routine. And when I do it, I feel so much better. Yet there's days that I still don't do it. And I think to myself, I kick myself. I'm like, Holly, you know that it makes you feel good. You know meditation's good for you. You know that going for that run is good. Why aren't you doing it every day? So do you keep to that religiously or are there days that you kind of slip? Yeah. Pretty close. I mean, obviously, like if we, if I had a really heavy night, not that you can, but if I had a really heavy night out one night, (laughs) the next day Um, so I think, I think you really have to, um, yeah, you suppose you could in your, in the pants in the living room, but it's not the same. Um, I think, I think that it's like not everything in moderation, that's the wrong expression, but I think as long as you're willing to accept the fact that we're not perfect and there's going to be little drops every now and then you're going to drop the ball occasionally. If you slip up and you don't have that morning routine, the really powerful thing about it is what you just said, which is you feel crap for the rest of your day. You feel like you're not getting as much stuff done. 
And it's a bit like if you've got the choice to get up and go to the gym or not go to the gym and you don't go to the gym, you'll regret that. If you go to the gym, you don't regret it. Even if you yeah. come home and you're violently sick because you worked out too hard, you still don't regret it. You still go, well, I'm glad I did it though. And so, <laughs> that's, that, so that's, the, that's the same thing with the morning routine. If you, if you don't get it done and you kick yourself for saying, ah, oh, crap, I didn't do it, you are more likely to do it in future. So it becomes more of a programmed habit then. That's so true, yeah. God, you're like a wealth of knowledge. I'm like, I'm going to apply <laughs> all of this over the next, well, few weeks, especially whilst we're in lockdown and really try and apply some of those things you've mentioned. So thanks for that. Um, so um, what would your advice be to other people listening? So obviously you've said a lot about like building personal growth into your everyday life. In terms of like career, because I always like to really kind of um, drum that in, because I think, as I always say, your 20s are very kind of here, there and everywhere. And you've just always pursued your dream. And it can be hard. And especially now in these times, like, are there days where you think I can't do this or I, I don't, you know, I don't want to keep pursuing the entertainment career? What would like, what would you advise someone that's trying to get into this? Because like we're both in the entertainment industry and it is tough. So you've been good at keeping that. I guess my question is, I'm really beating around the bush, but like, what would you advise people listening that want to go down like a similar career path to you? And how do you get into that? I think the first thing to realize is that with anything that's freelance, whether that's entertainment or anything else, there's two mm -hmm. things you can do. You can either wait for something to happen or you can go out and try and make it happen. And sometimes that'll work. And so for the longest time I knew, so as a kid growing up, I always knew I loved theater. So my stepmom's a drama teacher. So like I was always embroiled in theater and loved it, but I knew I didn't want to be in like, I didn't want to be an actor or a dancer or a singer because I can't, I can't do those things. Um, so I decided I would, instead, I decided I would pursue this hypnosis thing. And I always dreamt, even as a kid doing magic, that actually, so the city I grew up in, Sunderland, has this amazing big theater, the Sunderland Empire. And we used to go there like every week to see what was, whatever was on. And I always said I wanted, to, I wanted to be able to take a magic show there. Now, as a five-year-old, you have no idea as to what actually goes into that. But as that was just the thing. One day, when I'm older, I'll take a magic show there. And so growing up, I always knew I wanted to do a theater show. And when that moved to hypnosis, I knew that that, that came with me. So for years through my 20s, I was doing the holiday camps in the early parts of my 20s. I came home and I was doing like the pubs and club circuit here in the UK for the next bit of my 20s and like unis and corporate events and weddings and that kind of thing. And then when I got towards the end of my 20s, like 27, 28, I knew that I desperately wanted to put the show on in theaters. And I went to see people who I know who were in like touring magic shows. There's an amazing big show called The Illusionists. And I know some of the cast of that. And so I was going to see these shows and something struck me that none of the people in the show were famous, but the production of the show had all been done so well that they were selling out theaters across the world and all this other stuff. And I thought, well, there must be something in that. I think I could do the same thing that the producers of that show have done with magic with my hypnosis show. So I was sat thinking about it, thinking, how do you get signed by like a producer to put the show on tour? Like, how do you get signed by somebody who's going to rep that? So I was like, how do I do it? So in the end, I figured, well, I'm 20, I was 27, something like that. And I figured there's, two things I can do. I can either sit and wait for somebody else to come along and decide it's a good idea, or I can just figure it out myself and just have a go. So like I had a local contact at a massive theater in Newcastle who I'm really good friends with. And I was like, hmm, that would be a good place to start. Like, cause I know the, the management. So I could just get a, a local show apart from anything. It would be good for me to just do a, a big theater show locally. So I did that. 
and that went quite well. Lost some money because I, I got some of the economics of it wrong, but it went okay. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. I think I could probably get more theatres to say yes to this. So my choice was to either sit and wait for an opportunity to come along or to figure out how to do it for myself. One of the things that's interesting is if you're in any form of creative or freelance role, you have that opportunity. So if, you're in, like, if you want to write a book, you could, write a, you could write the chapter of a book and you could send it off to loads of publishing houses and you could wait years and years and really fight and push. And you've heard about stories of people like J.K. Rowling who were turned down by so many publishers till somebody said yes. The woman who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey turned down by so many publishers till people said yes. And I realized I could literally just, you could just take that book and you could just put it out and self-publish it. That's such an easy thing to do now. You could just figure it out yourself. You could take the content of that book, you could turn it into a workshop and you could deliver it online during a pandemic or offline when the pandemic goes away. I realized as, a, as an entertainer, I had a choice and that was to either sit and wait and hope for the best and sure, put myself out there and send stuff off and, you know, sure, nothing, nothing's going to come your way unless you put the work in. So I, I was thinking that's one route, but it's a, it puts 100% of the control in other people's hands. Yeah. Or I can just have a go and figure it out. And now we're like um, several, it took me a couple of years to put all the pieces in place to get there. So it was like my, I was 30 when I, when I went out and did it for the first time, but now three years on, hopefully when the pandemic pandemic clears ready to go back out on tour for the third time. And I'm now in a place where actually the bits are starting to fall together. And actually if it works, it will be better for me financially than if a producer was putting the show on tour. And so I'm actually in a better place to be in charge of the project. Um, than I would be if, if I'd been waiting and I'm three years further down the line. So I think a lot of us in lots of different aspects of our life, we wait for something else to make the decision yeah. that we're okay to go ahead. And actually, if you just think outside the box and just laterally think, there's other ways that you can take the skills that you've got and either apply them to something else or you can just give yourself a bigger head start than you possibly, than you're, you know, than you're currently waiting for. Yeah, that speaks so much to me because obviously it's only been what a year and a half that I'm really trying to push for the acting and the biggest thing that's putting me off is not having that control over my own career and I know like you said you can like with acting actually you could start filming things on your on your phone even there's loads of other ways to do it but we kind of you know go to castings get rejected get told no constantly and you feel like someone else is just like holding your career in their hands saying yes or no and that you've got no control over it so that speaks so much to me because it's especially during lockdown I've been like how long is this sustainable to you know plod a long life waiting for someone to go yes Holly you've got the job like we've you're booked so that and then how long is that going to be there for when they're when they're in control of it like how long is it going to be before that's now over I think one of the things that's interesting is I've got a bunch of friends who are in uh, commercial radio and in BBC radio as presenters and you realize that actually do you know what podcasting is the new radio youtube is the new television (laughs) it is so much more exciting for somebody to have a podcast than it would be to be on the radio now it's so much more exciting for somebody to be on youtube than it would be to be on the television right now because on television you're well a first of all you're bound by rules and regulations and laws and restrictions and stuff that just don't really exist on the internet that much you're bound by all sorts of stuff like in the uk obviously we've got offcom guidelines and all this other crap you can put whatever, whatever you want as long as it's legal you can put whatever you want on the internet that's fine you can say whatever you want on the internet that's fine so i think we have a much yeah. better we have much better potential, but also 
if you compare it to like local radio, like you're bound by what your radio broadcasting license will allow mm-hmm. in terms of like where you can broadcast to. The minute you put a pod- podcast on the internet, you'll have people listen to this from all over the world and that's perfectly Hopefully. fine and they can and yeah. they can. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think there's so that the power has in the last 20 years has so much shifted to give yeah. small creatives the chance to do something better. Yeah, that's true. That should be enough to like this episode will be enough to motivate anyone to be like, go out there and do it. Cause I really strongly believe that a lot of us do sit around and, and wait for someone to like give you that dream role. When in fact there is so much we can, we can be doing and with the internet as well. You've totally. inspired me, Rob. So inspirational. Um, Good. Talking about inspirational, what what book did you tell me it was? Steve Cohen, what book was it you said that you um, recommended for self-development? So it's a book called Win the Game. And it's Win totally the out there. It's, it's the book nobody recommends. Steve Cohen is a magician <laughs> uh, from New York, or he lives in New York, and he's branded as the millionaire's magician. And basically, he's this really smart, dapper guy who did a show at the Waldorf Hotel in New York for years and years and years. And it was for like New York's elite and wealthy would like go and buy a ticket. And it was like 20 people in a room or something, like a small audience, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 people in a room. And it was just a, a fairly small magic show there were no big boxes or women in glittery outfits it was just him in this amazing outfit just doing really simple elegant magic and like he was flown to like the richest people in the world to go and perform at their parties he basically branded himself as the millionaire's magician if you're a millionaire steve cohen's the guy to book and um he wrote a book called win the game and it's basically this is not officially its subtitle but it's basically how the principles of a magician like misdirection showmanship confidence charisma apply to real life and to business. So like anything you want to do in your life, uh, I learned a lot of my, like, I remember reading that I was probably, um, I, I bought the book at, so the magic circle in London had a centenary celebration. So they were a hundred at the time and he was performing as part of that. They flew him over and he performed as part of that. So it was in 2005 and, um, I bought the book then. And, uh, I remember I was, I was in my teens then I remember going through this like confidence thing and trying to figure out my, my own path. And that book really, really helped me along the way. So I would have been 18 then. So, yeah. So I'm yeah. Win the, game. win the game, Steve Cohen. I'm going to add that to my list. I've got quite a lengthy list now of oh, that's all I'm I read. Lying. I'm lying. It's, it's not oh. even called win the game. It's called win the oh. crowd. Oh, win the crowd. <laughs> I'm glad I checked. Yeah, I'm glad you are because I was going to, I'll post that into the show notes as well. Win the Crowd by Steve Cohen. Win the Crowd, yeah. Another one to add to my lengthy list. That's all I read nowadays is personal development and growth. Um, My last question, yeah, I love it. My last question to you is actually probably more my own benefit, but I'm sure it will help loads of other people too. Um, As somebody you said that had no confidence to have in like, like a lot of confidence and being able to go out and perform, what are your tips? for growing your confidence? Because I think everybody could do with a bit of that. Sure. So there are three, confidence I've realized in retrospect is made of three things. It's made of, and I'll go through them. Um, I'll go through them quickly. The first thing it's made of is- No rush. first thing it's made of is evidence. So our confidence or our lack of confidence comes from whether we have any evidence or not, that the thing that we're going to do is going to work. So confidence isn't a thing where you're either confident or you're not. And it's not a thing where you're either born confident or you're born not confident or unconfident. You are born 
And um, you develop confidence, you learn it, it's trained, it's programmed into you based on the stuff that people say, the things that people do, like who you are and the, the interactions you have with the world in your first few years of life. Mm-hmm. And it's in loads of different areas. So like, I'm super confident if you tell me to go on stage and make people laugh for two hours, I'm super confident there. But if you ask me to go and play a game of cricket, terribly unconfident. Like that's an area of my life. I have no confidence in sports, even going for a run this morning. I feel ridiculous doing it because I don't have much confidence in that area of my life, nor do I want to. It's not an area I want to explore, mm-hmm. but it's something I'm working on. So I suppose there are, so, so you, you have to pick a thing you want to build confidence in and you can do it one segment of your life at a time and realize that it will have a knock-on effect on the others, but it doesn't naturally mean that you're now going to be confident at everything. So that's just not how life works. Mm-hmm. So confidence then comes from the first thing, the first ingredient, which is evidence. So if you don't have much evidence that something's going to go well, there's a fair chance you're going to lack confidence in it. So for me as a kid, the first ever magic show I ever had to perform was when I was eight or nine years old. So I've been doing magic for four or five years and I was put in front of a group of brownies who were probably, I don't know how old brownies are, but I would guess about the same age as me at the time. So there's like 30 of these girls who were all brownies. It was run, a brownie treat was run by my stepmom's friend and I'd been asked to go and do this magic show. So I'm about the same age as them, like eight, nine, 10. They're about eight, nine, 10. And I went out and I had all the stuff set up. I'm all ready to go. My stepmom sat at the side and this is the first actual, anything you could describe as a show. It's the first one I've ever done. It was more than just showing a trick to one person. And I got up and I picked up the thing ready to do the trick and I just crumbled and I just like froze, couldn't speak, couldn't move. I was just locked on stage. And I realized at that moment in time, I remember it, I remember, I felt, suddenly I realized I've got, I haven't got the confidence to do this. And in the end, my stepmom stood up and she did all the talking and the patter and the routine and everything. I just like stood there and silently did the trick. So I came out and I realized, I didn't realize at the time, I realized looking back that I had no evidence to suggest that that was going to go well. I had evidence to suggest I could physically do the tricks, but I had no evidence to suggest I was going to be good at the performance or that they were going to like it. They might hate it. So I had all these questions that meant I didn't have the evidence to tell me it was going to go well. Mm-hmm. So evidence is the first one. So the step towards that is to say, okay, great. In that case, how do I take one step outside of my current comfort zone to take one step towards where I ultimately want to be? So at the minute I knew I could show one person a trick up close and then move on, but I knew I couldn't do a show for 30 people who were the same age as me. So somewhere between A and B, there was like this big void that I had to build up to. So if I can show one person who I'm like related to a trick, could I show two people I'm related to a trick? That's slightly more difficult. If I do that and that goes well, that like tops up my little bank of evidence. And your goal is to build over time this bank of evidence that suggests this is going to go well, this is going to go well, this is going to go well. And every time you do something and it doesn't go so well, like if I did a show and I die on my ass, that just chips down at my bank of evidence a little bit that's okay because the next time i get back out it builds back up so your goal is to acquire as much evidence as possible that the thing is going to go well the second thing then sorry to interrupt for some people for some people do you not think that that one occasion where it's gone horribly wrong can be enough for them not to have the confidence to go back out and do it again Totally. And that's where, that's where starting small comes in. So like, for example, and this applies to everything. It could be that Mm -hmm. you're terrified of a job interview, a first day, uh, you know, climbing the career ladder, performing, it could be anything. The goal is to find one small thing and take one step forward. So had I gone out and done that show for the brownies and it went so horrendously, like every, I mean, it went pretty bad, but imagine every trick went wrong and like everything went wrong. They all laughed at me. Half of them left. Like if it went that badly, that would have probably damaged it forever. But because I slowly built 
up to that, it was the next, the next step of that process was, okay, great. In that case, I'm at a wedding, a family wedding. And my uncle Tony brings a friend over and says, who I've never met before and says, this is my nephew, Rob, show me a trick. And I'd show him a trick. So now I'm taking one step at a time. The next thing is, can I do a thing for three people I've never met before? So it means that what it means is that if you ever have a slip up and something doesn't go so well, you've only gone one rung down the ladder. You haven't gone all the way back down to nothing. You've still got some evidence to like catch you like a safety cushion. Right. Okay. So evidence is evidence is super important. The second thing that we need to get is reps. So literally, just like going to the gym, like if you just pick up one weight, do one bicep curl, and then put it down again, that's not going to get. And then do something else that's not going to get you very far. Mm. So you have to start to build up reps. So if you take evidence that you can that something's going to go well, and you do it as much as you possibly can, like every opportunity to do it, that now compounds and you get stronger confidence. Um, the third thing that you then need is resistance. So back to the gym analogy, if I'm going to go and I'm going to use like one of those weights machines and I set the weight to whatever it's going to be and like I'm doing the thing, that's going to work. But there's a period of time where reps need to be taken over by resistance. In other words, you have to increase the resistance, increase the weight, increase the difficulty and do the same number of reps. So it's actually more beneficial to increase the weight and still only do 10 and then take a break and then do 10 and then take a break than it would be to do 100 at the same weight. There's a point at which that's going to, that's going to, um, that's going to not balance out. So you want to do the same thing. So again, it's about increasing the difficulty. So slowly stepping up those baby steps to say, okay, great. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do something more difficult than the last time. I'm going to do something more difficult and scary than the last time. And that requires the, the like the, the final bit. It's not really an ingredient, but it requires the extra thing you need, which is just the courage to have a go. It's the courage to just say, okay, great. There's, there's the little step from here to here feels like it's going to be scary, but I think I can probably do it. You just need to get the courage to have a go. Um, and what it means is because you're taking these slow bit incremental, incremental baby steps forward, as you slowly step up the resistance and, and the difficulty, that means that you only ever need the courage to get you from this little step to this next little step. You're never trying to get the courage to go from never performing before to performing in front of the queen. Like you're not trying to take this enormous big <laughs> yeah. leap. All you're trying to do is say, I just need a bit of courage to get from one rung of the ladder to the next. Okay, great. That wasn't so bad. And now I've become comfortable on this rung of the ladder. I might as well be on the floor. Like this feels easy. Now I'm going to try and get to the next one. You only need that same amount of courage. So yeah, if you build evidence and resistance and reps, not in that order, then you'll, uh, then you, you'll, you can build confidence. Amazing. So much information. I for sure will be listening to this on repeat as part of my morning thing. I'm like, like my inspiration for the day a lot of what you said I've noticed you've said like just small like focus on one thing or just small things at a time and that is such a big thing for me because I'm a person that wants to do everything all at the same time and then I don't commit to like I'll I'll commit to a hundred things and then none of them turn out good or I don't persist with it so if anything I've taken from this episode with you that you just need to focus on one thing. Like if you're focusing on your anxiety, then, you know, build meditation into your routine every day. If you're focusing on your, yeah. focusing on your confidence, you know, it's little baby steps at a time, isn't it? And that's hundred percent that, that makes it, taken. And that all compounds and makes a massive difference. Yeah, completely. Thank you so much. You've been, I think this is one of my favorite episodes of my oh, How to Survive Your Twenties. It's been absolutely amazing and so much um, great information to take away. Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. Thanks for having me.